Let's do something different this morning. Y'all want to? I like to do things different because if I do things the same for too long, I get bored and dangerous. Here's what I want y'all to do. Everyone stand up with me. Just stand up. Uh, I'm going to read to you guys a passage uh, from Isaiah. And in my opinion, this is one of the cooler passages in the Bible. It's also one of the more meaningful. And so uh, I would just like like a, an extended version of reverence for this one. It's why we're standing up. And like maybe you want to just shut your eyes and soak this in, but like just allow God to speak to you through these words in the Bible. This is Isaiah 53. And it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep before its shearers, he was silent. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for Isaiah, and we thank you for the words he wrote. God, uh, I'm going to attempt today to talk about Jesus the Messiah. Uh, it's a concept that I'm not worthy to speak on. It's, it's so much bigger than my understanding and so much more magnificent than my words can do it justice. So God, I'm asking for you to speak through me or around me or in spite of me. Uh, God, whether we experience this through laughter or through tears or through some sort of heightened understanding, God, just speak, please. God, I know there's people in this room today who have no idea what this concept means. There's people in this room who have forgotten. People who've forgotten who Jesus is. People who've forgotten what Messiah means. People who have never known the joy and the peace and hope that comes from really giving their, life, their heart to you. So God, move in a unique and mysterious way in this place today. Do what only you can do, God, and make dry bones dance in this house. God, we thank you for what's about to happen here. We love you and we trust you. And we thank you for every decision that will be made today. It's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. All right. That passage we just read uh, was from a guy named Isaiah, right? And obviously, because the book is called Isaiah, that's always a good indicator if you're studying the Bible, who wrote it. Those words were written 700 years before Jesus Christ. 700 years before Christ walked the earth. 700 years before anything like that, Isaiah wrote these words and they were hopeful, optimistic words given to God to share with the nation of Israel. And so he, he's this guy and his, his job is to go talk to God's chosen people, the Israelites. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, these people have been through all sorts of stuff. And so Isaiah is this prophet and he walks into them and they've been through exile and all these things. And Isaiah says, guys, God is sending you a promise. 
And the promise is this. There will be a Messiah. There will be a Savior. And He will save us. He will deliver us. He's going to be the King. And in this speech from Isaiah, in this, in this part of Isaiah, He is sharing with them a promise that they have waited for. And He says, He's coming. He's coming. He's going to be pierced for our, our iniquity. He's going to be punished for our sin. And we're going to be free and all this kind of stuff. And, and Isaiah says, the Savior is coming. And then time goes by. A couple hundred years of exile for the people, which means they were taken out of their homeland. A couple hundred years of captivity for the people. A couple hundred years of living under the rule of all these different people. Then there's like 400 years where God doesn't speak at all. He sends no prophets, there's no burning bush, there's no dove, there's no carrier pigeon, there's no text, there's no tweets, there's nothing. God does not speak, he's silent. And the people begin to doubt whether or not Isaiah knew what he was talking about. And then something happens. This guy comes along. His name is Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. And so at this point, this guy named Matthew comes on. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Isaiah writes this. And Matthew is a guy, he's a Jewish guy, but he's working for the Romans. The Romans have occupied the promised land. They're, they're, they've got the Jews enslaved. And Matthew is a Jew, but his job is to collect taxes for the Romans. How popular do you think this guy is? He also enforces the mask policy in the town. <sighs> Everyone hates this guy, right? And he's a hall monitor, Right? And so this is, this is what Matthew does. And so he's standing there, and he's in charge of all these things, and no one likes Matthew. And one day Jesus is walking around on the earth, and Jesus sees Matthew at the tax collector booth, which is where tax collectors stand. And he says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew goes, okay. And so Matthew leaves the safety of the Romans. He leaves the safety of his booth. He leaves his money. He leaves his friends. He leaves everything he's got. And he follows Jesus. And then he says, Jesus, where are we going? And Jesus says, we're going to your house. And Matthew's like calling his friends, going, hide it, hide it, hide it, hide it, hide it. Jesus is coming over. And so Jesus goes with Matthew into the house. They're having this conversation. They're hanging out. Eventually, Matthew says, you know what? I'm all in gives his whole life to follow Jesus. He's a disciple. He experiences the life of a disciple. Then 700, so, so after Jesus dies, he dies on the cross, he resurrects from the grave, he walks around with people, he does a bunch of miracles, then he ascends back into heaven. And 760 years after Isaiah wrote those words, Matthew writes something, looking back on the time he'd spent with Jesus. In Matthew 16, 13, this is what, this is what he wrote. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, Jesus said? What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are Messiah, Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. It's a pretty cool conversation right there, isn't it? 760 years after Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be the Messiah, Matthew says, you are the Messiah. 760 years is a long time. Does anyone know what year it is right now? Let's play a little math game. Anyone know? Just shout out. That's good, about 50% of y'all. That's probably what I figured. 
So 2021, does anyone know what 760 years ago it was? 1261. I know that because I'm that good at math. Actually, I used an abacus last night. 1261. Y'all know what was going on in East End at 1261? Anyone want to know? There was only one Dollar General. Just one. It was little. Right? Just Dollar General and Sonic. That's all there was. Um, University Mall was hopping. Right? Everyone was hanging out. Doing their thing. Pac-Man. We were standing up like nothing was going on in 1261. Nothing. And a lot can happen in 760 years, right? Think how many Dollar Generals we've got now. A lot can happen in 760 years. And that's what Matthew is saying. He's, Matthew believed it. And Jesus and, and Paul and Peter and all these guys are saying a lot happened in 760 years. And what they're saying happened was God kept his promise. 760 years, God delivered. He did what he said he was going to do. God delivered on his promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 when it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's saying Jesus delivered on that. Jesus is the one who crushes the head of evil, and evil strikes his heel. But Jesus wins. God delivered on that promise, and they believed it. God delivered on the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 too. He said, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And the peoples on the earth will be blessed because of you. Do y'all know why we're blessed because of Abraham? There's a church answer. Jesus. From the lineage of Abraham comes Jesus. God kept his promise. God fulfilled his promise to King David. In 2 Samuel 7, it says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and he will establish his throne on the kingdom forever. Who's he talking about there? Jesus! The promise was true, and over and over and over, and then Jesus shows up and said, that guy, all those promises, that's me. I am the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament said. I'm the Messiah. Messiah means Savior. Messiah, Savior, Christ, they're all the same thing. They, they mean Savior. It's a prediction from the Old Testament, a prophecy, and Jesus says, I fulfilled that promise. Remember, guys, from the moment that we chose sin. From the moment that we unleashed hell on the earth, God went to work with a plan to bring us back into his presence. And the first we saw it with the tabernacle. We talked about this last week, and I know everyone remembers. We saw it in the tabernacle, and we saw it in the temple, and then the word became flesh, and he came and dwelt among us, and it was the fulfillment of every promise the Bible had had. Every promise God had made is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is Messiah. But not everyone believed it. And still not everyone believes it. And a lot of people who were alive at that time, they didn't see it. And, and it's easy for us to look back and be like, how did you not know Jesus was the Messiah? I mean, he did these amazing things. But think about this. They waited like a couple thousand years. If you're looking for one person across the history of a couple thousand years, it might be easy to miss him. Y'all ever had the cable guy say, I'll be at your house sometime between like 9 a.m. and 4 p.m.? He shows up at 4.03. 
get a little frustrated, don't you? If you're a cable guy, man, we're cool, but come on. You know what I mean? Like, we get frustrated with that. So now imagine someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to be there sometime between now and 2,000 years. You might get a little frustrated. You might begin to doubt. You might begin to believe that, hey, maybe this isn't going to happen. So it makes sense that the people didn't see it. It makes sense that the people didn't believe it. I think what happens is I think people missed him then for the same reason they miss him now. Some people didn't really think they needed a Messiah. Some people today don't think they need a Savior. Some people think they're just fine. They got everything going on. They got whatever they want. Why do they need a Messiah? If you're standing in quicksand and you don't even know that you're drowning and someone throws a rope at you, you're just going to be like, eh, I don't need that. They don't even think they need it. Other people have an expectation of what the Messiah is actually coming to do. They believe that the Messiah is coming to save them from something, but they're a little confused about what the something is. And think about it. If you've got a th- Let's say I tell you I'm coming to your house. And I'm going to, you say, hey, Tommy, come to my house and bring me a loaf of bread. And that's what you think the problem is, that you need a loaf of bread. And I say, okay, I'll be there. And I don't know, 42 years later, I show up. Aren't you going to be like, you better have that loaf of bread. I mean, if someone tells you they're coming and then you begin to believe they're coming and you have all these times to begin to figure out what your problems are, you really set some expectations on what better happen. And the Jews thought their problem was the Romans. They thought their problem was taxes. Uh, they thought their problem was, you know, their wife. They thought their problem was their kids. They thought their problem was their college football team had no defense. They had all these ideas of what they thought their problem was. And so the longer they had to sit there and think about it, the angrier they became that their problem wasn't getting solved. But like, man, Messiah better show up because my wife is getting on my nerves. Messiah better show up because my team needs a coach. Messiah better show up because I need some new shoes, although I borrowed these from Caden, don't tell him. These are nice, dog. Messiah better show up because when he shows up, he's going to solve whatever I believe my problem is, and I've waited a long time, so he better do what I want him to do when he gets here. Right? Is that fair? The problem was this. The problem was that they didn't really understand what their problem was. They're right. They had a problem, but it wasn't the problem. And the problem they wanted Messiah to to solve wasn't too big for him. It was too small. The problem they thought the problem wasn't big enough. And the expectation they placed on Messiah wasn't big enough because they thought he was coming to solve some little problem. They expected too little from him. So when he showed up to solve the problem, they didn't see it. Remember, guys, what's the real problem that separates us from God? sin. And so what problem did Messiah really show up to solve? Sin. Matthew 1 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their taxes. Because he will save the people from the Rona. Because he will save the people from bad governments or you know, because he will save the people from unfair situations, because he will save the people from disease, because he will, no, 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 what's it say? Because he will save the people from their sins. What's the real problem Messiah came to solve? Sin. 
And we're expecting him to solve some other little problem. And I'm not saying that's not a problem, but it's not the problem. And if you're expecting Messiah to show up in your life because you want some small problem solved, then you're going to expect way too little and you're going to miss it when Messiah really moves. We want him to come and, does he want to fix your marriage? Yes. Does he want to cure disease? Yes. Does he want to erase racism and hatred and war and famine and disease and disaster? Yes. But what's the root cause of all of those things? Sin. He's like a good functional medicine doctor. He's not just looking at the symptoms. He's curing the root problem. He's here to reverse the curse that we unleashed. We unleashed hell on the earth, and he came to get the hell out of us so that we might actually have power over these little problems that are destroying our lives. But we got to get this. We got to understand what he really came to do. He came to set you free. Now, what's that mean? Does it mean you will have no problems in this world? No. What did Jesus say? He said, you're going to have problems. He said, in this world, you will have problems. But then he said something after that. Anyone know what it is? He said, but take heart, for I have overcome this world. How did he overcome the world? By solving your little problem? No, he overcame the world by destroying sin, by defeating the problem. And so then Jesus shows up, and, and he's Messiah, and he's, he's going to war against sin, and he's stepping on the head of the enemy, and he's destroying things so that sin will no longer reign over us. Does it mean that there's not still sin in the world? Raise your hand if you're living a completely sinless life right now. All right. Because there's still sin in the world. But you're not powerless over sin anymore. Because of what Christ did, we have power over the sin. It doesn't reign over us. We reign over the sin. And, and, and so Jesus, that's why he looks at his boys and he says, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Because if I'm Messiah then you can no longer hide behind sin as an excuse. If I'm Messiah, you can no longer hide behind complacency as an excuse. If I'm Messiah, you can no longer just show up and go through the motions because I have destroyed the things in your life that want to destroy you. If you think I am Messiah, then act like the Messiah is here. And I believe that's God's word to the church today. The Messiah has arrived. In the Bible, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. I think he's saying it again. Repent, the kingdom of God is here. Live like you are set free. I can't imagine how frustrating it is for Jesus to see Christians living just lives where they're just, oh, woe is me. He's like, no, I set you free. Lift your head, receive Messiah, and live like someone who has power over the woes of this world. Like, guys, you are free to smile. You're free to dance, depending on what church you go to. I'm not bringing, but you're free. You're free to enjoy this life. You're free so that Messiah might be free through you into the world. Like, that's what we exist to do. When the world looks at us, you know what they should see? People who are free. People who don't experience the pains of the world in the same way. They're out there going, oh, man, this world is jacked up. Man, this world is so messed up. We got this problem and that problem. Why are those crazy people down there in that big trailer-looking aluminum building singing so loud every week? What are they so excited about? Why are they so nice to each other? Why they let that person in there? Why they let that dude preach? Did you see his shirt? 
This is contemporary farming, by the way. Just so we're clear. Also, Cadence. Like, they're looking at us going, what is wrong with you? And the truth is, there's nothing wrong with us. We're free. And so the things of the world should not affect us like they affect the world. And so Jesus is looking at you today in this moment, and he's asking you a question that you must answer. Who do you say I am? Because if you say I'm Messiah, then you better live like Messiah is real. Live like you've been set apart and set free and saved. And that starts with, watch this. What? Did y'all see that? That's a smile. It's a good one, too. Well, I mean, Invisalign wouldn't kill me, but this is still a decent smile. This stuff's expensive. We could do a love offering. Why don't we do that in this church? I don't know. You know what God's been challenging me with for like the longest time? He's been challenging me with your boring me a little bit, Tommy. Like, when's the last time I did something where I risked for God? And uh, Christy and I were talking about this the other night. And uh, when, when the riots were going on downtown, and there was just all this stuff, and there was looting and all these things, and I looked at Christy and I said, I got to go down there. And then we spent the next 30 minutes talking each other out <laughs> why I should not go down there. Because it was too dangerous or because, like, and I just think God is going, come on, people. Wake up. Wake up. Come in every week and sit in the same seats and then leave and do the same stuff you did the week before with no risk. And so there's so little reward. No real investment. And so there's so little payoff. Because we're willing to risk little. We never experience the greatness that comes with being full of Messiah. And I believe God is looking for one place that will be fearless in their faith. One place where we won't care about all these rules and regulations, where we will go out into the world and live like people who believe the world has no power over us. The world looks at the way we approach death. Do we fear it? We shouldn't. It has no power over us. If the Messiah that we sing about in this place every week is real, shouldn't we look really different out in the world? I don't know what God's doing in your heart right now. Some of you are like, man, I wish I wasn't here. And others of you are like, he's right. Like, you know, you've been bored for too long. There hasn't been enough challenge in your life. So maybe today, maybe today, what is that one thing? Just shut your eyes for just a minute. Just appease me for a minute. Just shut your eyes for one minute. All of you, shut your eyes. Don't be scared. What's the one thing in your heart that you would do if you believed God was real? Just think about it. What's the one thing you would do if you believed the story was true? Where's the place you would go? Who are the people you would witness to? What's the one thing you would do if you believed the story of Messiah was true? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
and surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age.'"